Tara, I know you talked about um, your kids and, and summer sports. We talked a lot about baseball. What are the summer sports that you're seeing and watching and doing? Oh, gosh. Like, my my little one is soccer and golf through and through. My older is oh. more of, like, the sport of reading and learning is kind of his oh, thing. But yes. personally, I love to kayak because I got a kayak last year, and I enjoy being out in the water, just hanging out, enjoying the sunshine. So that's me. Love it. What about you, Kelsey? Yeah. I was going to say here, I felt like I've like talked enough kind of adding on things that I was like, yeah, when you're like, yeah, getting out in the sunshine, I'm like, I have a paddle board. You can tell me back in collection that I haven't used it since last year, but (laughs) it's awesome if I get time. But no, I agree. Just going out, baseball's fun up until it gets hot and buggy. And then you're like, you know what? Having the windows open and listening to the birds is beautiful. Hiking, North Shore, any of those things. But yeah, the bugs are in full bloom here in Minnesota. And I'm like, yeah, it's happening. Here are your bug spray. Yeah. So Jason, when you're not, you know, teaching your kids how to play baseball, what are things that you like to do in the summer? What is kind of your, your summer activity, your sport, your thing that you like to go and do? Yeah, I am an assistant scoutmaster for the first BSA girls troop in Ham Lake, as well as Ooh. an assistant scoutmaster for the boys troop. So I am a scoutmaster or assistant scoutmaster. I, n- I never like to be the man. I'm the guy who helps the man, right? So Or the person, <laughs> excuse me. But uh, yeah, we're getting ready to go to summer camp. Uh, my daughter is leaving next week. I'm, I'm spending a day. It's four hours each way driving her to camp. She's going to live up in the woods for 10 weeks. Uh, no plumbing, all the Whoa. things. So she's, she's hardcore about it. Uh, I am, but I will be taking our troop along with some other brave leaders to summer camp. Um, I am an amateur blacksmith. So at some point I'll get my forge fired up. Uh, I have recently kind of focused on wellness. So I am doing three days a week of just working out with some local firefighters and they are humbling me because they're all older and in way better shape than I am. So got some work to do there. Um, but yeah, I just, it, a lot of what I do will be running kids around and enjoying myself uh, you know, we throw tomahawks in the backyard. We just, you know, every, uh, you know, we, during COVID, I think one of the best things in our neighborhood was we started refocusing on being socially connected as a neighborhood. So instead oh, of running kids so in sports, nice. so we'll have a, um, like a version of the state fair where everybody sets up a food option and a game in their front yard. And then the neighborhood just gets together and all the kids play and we do that. So yeah, that's, uh, that's my, my summer in a nutshell is running kids around, learning how to use fire sharp sticks um, learning how to be, you know, leaders without realizing that we're actually trying to teach them things that have nothing to do with camping and, uh, yeah, sneaking a little time in at my forge if I have time. Wow. You make me feel like I'm not, not doing anything. Like, I'm hyperactive. Woo. It's not a, it's not, there's no judgment. I just, if I'm not busy, like it's a bad deal. So I, I just, yeah. I keep busy all the time. Yeah. Kyle, are you a busy person during the summer or is it kind of. Not by choice, banner? but yeah. <laughs> Fair. By, uh, mm-hmm. by by family requirement, but yeah, I mean, if, if but if I were to go like it's more, the St. Paul Saints side would be my favorite mm-hmm. place to go watch baseball. I enjoy that more than the even the the Twins side of it. It's just yeah, nice. It's small. It's more uh, more intimate. It's very casual. I mean, most of the time I couldn't even tell you the score of any of the games. I mean, it's like whatever. Um, so it's very relaxed. I'm not as emotionally involved into the game, so I tend to enjoy it more because it's just the being outside and the atmosphere and just walking in the ballpark and doing things. So just I don't know what it is. I really, I really like that. It's just not it's not even stressful getting in and out, which is the mm-hmm. other part that some reason is big for me. Going downtown Minneapolis is always. Uh, a stressful event. I mean, you sit in traffic there, you sit in traffic, and it's like an hour, hour and a half of just 
commuting in there side of it, but the Saints had kind of in and out. It's like it's just a pretty mm-hmm. effortless and stuff. So I just seem to enjoy that. Um, so other than that, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, like it's nice to get outside and hike and do the different uh, outdoor activity sides of it, you know, like to play, you know, we've been doing the pickleball with the with the kids. We've been doing the the wiffle ball and all the other stuff outside just to kind of keep it going. So all good. Try to find yeah. a cabin, run someplace, you know, some point here, do a quick uh, get away and get out in the lake and do some fishing. I suck at fishing. I really don't like it, but uh, <laughs> I think the kids, kids all like it. So got to do it. Yeah. For sure. You mentioned that I was thinking, oh, bocce ball. That's what our family likes to play. We're big bocce ball people. Uh, so that's always a good one at the beach. I love the beach. You got to find a quiet one, though. You know, you got to find like the secret local ones where it's not really busy. That's what I like during the summer. I think so. we just, you know, you know, Ariel, those, those are the ones they actually they shut down because there's some kind of bacteria. <laughs> that's why it's quiet. Algae bloom. <laughs> <laughs> That just went so positive here. I was going to be like, we now know who's introverted and who's extroverted is we got the full scope of like, yeah, we will be social versus Ariel's like, yeah, it isn't quiet. And I'm like, yes, we should definitely meet up and not talk to each other at the quiet place. At the quiet place. You find a quiet beach. That's usually all it is. Because man, the beaches just get packed in the summer. So. I know. Oh my gosh. Well, today on our Tech for Business podcast, our listeners may have heard a new voice. We've got um, Jason, our virtual CIO and expert in commercial workplaces, joining Kelsey, Tara, myself, and Kyle, our CEO and president. Um, I'm going to throw it to Jason first because I'm so curious how you got into commercial workspaces, how you woke up one morning and said, I am going to be a champion for designers, <laughs> you know? I, you know, I ask myself that question very often. And uh, <laughs> I love, you know, it's uh, to take it back a second, you know, I, because it, it all relates weirdly to how I got into technology in the first place, which was, you know, I'm a Gen Xer. Uh, I just turned 47 years old just a couple weeks ago. And I got my start with technology before there was a Google or whatever. It, it I found the intersection of my own curiosity and learning how to fight through and figure things out um, through using a, an old beige computer my dad brought home uh, because I wanted to entertain myself. I wanted to to access these games that had this interesting narrative component to them. And you know, when I was reflecting on my career many, many years later, I realized that a lot of what I was I was doing as a kid, what was personally motivating to me, still translates through to helping designers in this this unique setting tell their stories, to engage with clients because we don't want to hear about why you bought this credenza, this chair, whatever concept is. They want to understand how they're going to solve problems that ultimately affect people's well-being and and their ability to do their best work. Um, you know, and I'm passionate about that. I'm passionate about, you know, blacksmithing even has some aspect in this, one of my hobbies, which is yeah. I'm not necessarily the person using the stuff that I'm making. In fact, I've, I've personally chosen not to sell anything I make. I give it away because it's a labor of love and it's, it's not about monetizing it. It's about expressing that sort of need to be creative and produce useful things that help other people do things better. And so I got into commercial workspace because I worked for Target Corporation. 
And I've always pursued being in my career. I, I'm always interested in the next thing. My wife considered, I have a revolving door of hobbies, which she loves because my house is full of all the things that are associated with my hobbies. At one point I was doing wood turning and blacksmithing and, and all this other stuff. She's like, you got to pick one. You got to stop <laughs> like, we're running out of space. So, you know, it, it's a good and a bad thing, but ultimately um, I, I was a generalist in the sense that I, I couldn't just pick one thing. I really liked the focus on end user computing. And at some point got myself promoted into a job where I was one of two people who got called when the red phone went off, which meant somebody with a C in their title had a technology problem. And so I had to have a combination of interpersonal skills, technical knowledge, and a good network to get their problem solved because it was kind of like wearing a red shirt in a Star Trek episode if you're a geek. Um, <laughs> it is potentially a job in which you can find yourself with a very short career if it doesn't go well. And, uh, but it also taught me a lot that these were very, very patient, uh, explain what it is you're going to accomplish, how long it's going to take, and then get it done, you know, be brilliant, uh, be brief and then be gone. Right. was one of the philosophies I learned working with that group. And so anyway, uh, they being target, uh, the backstory was target was actually originated by the Dayton, what was eventually called the Dayton Hudson Corp Hudson corporation. And they had a little commercial workspace company that was located in the Dayton's building in Roseville. And that company was still owned by Target um, in the early 2000s, and they had their own standalone IT infrastructure. So I was hired to come in and bring that infrastructure into Target's bigger technology practice. And then about three months later, I got a call from the, the CFO I'd worked for saying, hey, can you undo what you did? <laughs> we'd, we'd like to, we, we needed to modernize, right? And so bringing us into Target worked, but Target is finding we're consuming a lot of the resources. It's not a great fit for either of us. Can you bring us back out? So my first big project that really set me on the trajectory that led me to where I am today was to extract this commercial workspace services company's technology infrastructure from Target while being accountable to Target's technology practices. So we had to reduce what it cost in terms of complexity to serve that business's needs and everything else. So that very quickly helped me understand what were the needs of my individual clients that worked in that business. And interior designers were kind of foreign to me. My wife is actually a textile apparel designer. So I have some familiarity with the mindset that a designer, especially a technical designer, has. It's not just producing the thing that looks a certain way, uh, textures or fabrics or whatever else it is. It's understanding how do I make 10,000 of these things at a certain price point, at a certain level of quality and sell it in a store. And my mentor, being a CFO, helped me understand how to translate these technology concepts into dollars and cents business cases so that I could only go out into the world and understand what are the tools that are going to give my team an advantage over our competition? What is it that's going to make them more satisfied with their daily work? Because it wasn't just about you know maximizing productivity. It was about helping them unlock their creative potential to do their best work. I think I said that once before. Uh, because I think that actually helped them as team members as out, you know, sort of, we're all in this together, right? So how do I help my team members get their best work done? Because I felt like it just, it made my, my job easier. You know, if I had people who were coming to me like, Jason, I have this problem and I want to solve it. Can you help me? Like, absolutely. Let's set job titles aside. Let's all get in a room together and, and fix this. So one of my designers came to me one day. Uh, well, let me back up just a step here. Uh, the way that we specified furniture 
So, I, and I have to make a distinction between there is a whole practice of architecture and design, which is, you know, the shell of the building and the mechanical stuff. And so what my, the designers that I'm working with who are presented with was often, here is the visual style we're looking for. Here's the, the building shell that you're going to be putting this stuff into. Here's a whole set of rules around ADA compliance or lead, which is more environmental sustainability efforts. And I need you to produce a solution that helps people do their best work using products and services from the manufacturers that you are partnered with as a dealership, which I like to call a commercial workspace services business. And I'll talk about that as we move along here. So anyway, designers, the people who put sort of the chairs and, and the word they don't like to use anymore, the cubicle walls and the flooring together, they were using AutoCAD and a symbol of libraries that you would sort of drag and drop. Here's a chair, here's a, and then they would have to go in and manually say, here's a color, here's the chair leg style, blah, blah, blah. If you understand that a single office chair can have 3 billion combinations of potential variables, and that's one product, right? That's one chair. And you've got cubicle walls, tables. Those tables have support framework, all this stuff. There's a huge opportunity for technology to automate the work that they're doing. So instead of them being product sort of specification experts, which they still have to be, a lot of the mechanics of how they specify things can be simplified using something called parametric specification technology. So as what they have evolved into is a tool that allows them to drag and drop in a 3D view, the products that are available to them in these catalogs that manufacturers provide to the dealership and the designer. And right now the sort of one of the industry tools that is fairly common is CET designer. And 15 years ago, it wasn't a standard. There were other tools that people were using and one of my designers came to me and said, look, I think this tool, because it allows us to do, as we specify the product, it's creating the bill of materials, it's creating installation plans, it's creating a rendering potentially. If we can use this and figure out how to make the technology functional, we, we can actually save a lot of time and do better work. I said, this is exactly what I'm looking for. This is exactly the kind of thing that I am I'm charged with helping you with. So I attached myself to the design community as a technology advisor and resource unofficially. Um, there was no title for this. It was, I felt this was something that even though it wasn't helping my dealership make money, I was helping my dealership at the time adopt this new tool. I was helping other dealers in the Steelcase ecosystem adopt this tool. And ultimately I said, look, I don't even care what manufacturer that these other dealerships that are doing this are aligned with. If we as an industry can come together to adopt a tool that helps us all do work together, we can all go back and it's sort of like the baseball analogy, right? You can all have the playbook, but that doesn't mean you can all execute it as well as we can. So we're all just gonna say, hey, we're gonna sort of converge the community, get this problem solved, get this technology adopted and move forward. And it was a mess. When we first started this, it was, we were told we had to buy $4,000 laptops. Well, at the time, having worked, at the time when I worked for Target, I couldn't go out and buy whatever laptop I wanted. I had to use what was on the shelf. And so I very quickly realized I cannot optimize what's available to me to fit this need. And that was one of the impetuses for spending seven figures to break this company's technology infrastructure apart from, it was my first big project, had two commas in it, which was a big responsibility for a very wet behind the ears, late 20 something technology person who'd really never worked at that level. Um, but it was necessary because that's what my clients needed. So it's like, we're gonna figure this out. So with a good mentor, we figured out how to get our infrastructure separated, which allowed us to buy the right laptops. Uh, which in this case were gaming laptops because we couldn't spend $4,000 per designer to make this work. We could spend around 1200. So the journey was we, we helped a single dealership become proficient and get this tool off the ground and make it part of the daily business uh, with a lot of support from other dealerships, from Steelcase, from other manufacturers. We were able to very quickly make this a standard within that community. And very quickly it became, you know, there's now 15,000 people 
uh, and growing around the world using this specific tool, along with a, no a number of other tools. But um, what I have found is even after 15 years, there are still tremendous opportunities, not only to consider the basic technology infrastructure that supports this business. So when I talked about spending seven digits or seven figures on a standalone technology solution, which was at the time, the very beginning of what we now call like a V-block type setup, where we were buying storage and compute and memory all together. We virtualized everything. I had to run everything with a team of, at the time, uh, three people, three techs plus me. So four people, I guess, if I count myself as a person, which is good to do for your mental health. Um, and we got it going. So that really helped me understand that I had to get the basics of IT management and understanding how to run a very clean, very, very high functioning technology environment. That was table stakes. I had to get that done right first. Then I got to work on the stuff that was really, comp that was, I guess, changing the game. It was a force multiplier. It was doing things that nobody else was doing with technology at that time. Now, once we did something new and compelling, other people would emulate that. So it wasn't like we could just do something and then sit in our laurels. We had to continually be innovating and finding new applications. And one of the things that I, towards the end of my career in a dealership, decided to do was take the work my technology team behind the scenes was doing and push it into the forefront of how we shared a value proposition with our clients. So I decided, how do I use what our tech team is doing? Because we're solving business problems, right? So for example, in downtown Minneapolis, real estate was relatively expensive. This is before the pandemic, before the whole equation about how you how you design workspace changed, right? So the goal was get as many people into as few square feet as possible. And in a dealer showroom space, meaning we have to show and tell things that our clients haven't seen before, because why would they come work for us if we're not even eating our own dog food, as it were? So we decided, hey, we need to make this space something that can change frequently. So I'm going to get away from doing structured cabling everywhere, and I'm going to rely on a Wi-Fi connected environment that my interior designers can use. Now, a lot of people as you know, general IT users can get away with wireless, but an interior designer has a different use case. It's like a marketing person. They're pushing really big files, you know, security, everything else. So we went out and worked with HPE and, and uh, I believe it was Aruba at the time. God, I hope I got that right, or they're gonna, that's gonna have to get fixed in post. Yeah, right. right. Uh, anyway, all right, perfect. We uh, we actually, and one of my techs actually got to write a white paper with HP about how we were able to do this and then eliminate something like $40,000 of the cabling, which allowed us to A, tell a great story to our clients, because I was able to bring in the CTO, the CIOs at our customers and talk to them about how we used our resources, both IT and internal design, to solve our bigger workspace issues that we were not just in many cases, the design of workspace was done almost in silos. So the designer would sit down and say, here's how the furniture goes in. And then some random AV person would come in and say, okay, here's how we're going to put the, the speakers in the ceiling and the microphones and the screens. And then IT would maybe get 10 minutes of notification that they had to do a network upgrade. So it never was done sort of with a, a big picture in mind. We weren't working together. So what I pushed was collaboration, IT working lockstep with design as I had been advising them. And so I was able to push my team as the infrastructure teams at work into the forefront. And that was helping us win new business. And so if you want to know in a very a long story, short version of a very long story I've just told, that whole philosophy continues to inform what I'm doing now to serve the greater commercial workspace services industry. So about four years ago, a little over four years ago, um, I realized I wanted to go farther. I loved the idea that I was helping serve the business that I, I really grew up in. Um, and I, I am tremendously grateful to this day for the mentorship they provided me. But I, I went and had a conversation with my boss and said, look, I feel like I have opinions about leadership and about running a company, but I've never done it. I've never put 
stakes on the table and said, I'm going to go gamble, frankly, my family's well-being and financial interests by saying, I'm going to go into business for myself. I'm going to, I, you know, I had like a month of runway and said, I, I appreciate everything you did. Uh, I want to go out and do my own thing and start potentially serving dealerships outside of, you know, this wonderful steelcase ecosystem. I want to talk to other business leaders. I really want to try this. And so I started my own company called Plaid Anvil Consulting. Um, for two reasons, a, I needed a company name that nobody else had used. And I had about three hours to register, uh, a DBA before I jumped on an airplane after inkjet printing business cards to start pitching to a bunch of dealer principals the following Monday. So I left my job on a Friday and started my consulting career on a Monday. <laughs> so it was a very short amount of uh, time and, uh, it was successful. I, I really, I got, uh, I had a great start working with some new manufacturers, uh, COVID happened. And if you were in business uh, for a year and COVID happened, you had to learn very quickly how to adapt and how to get back to focusing on how am I a, personally going to survive in a business, but B, how am I going to help serve my clients who are financially constrained? They don't want to take a lot of risks right now, or they're dealing with, we don't even know what's coming next, but also realizing that in this sort of environment of uncertainty, there is tremendous opportunity to grow, to help those clients go bigger. And so... Uh, that is where I started trying to figure out what was I going to do next. And in the same time period, we found there was a bit of a stability negative happening, uh, that the the tools we were using weren't performing as well as we expected. We had changed the basic operating parameters in which we had designed the infrastructure to support all of these interior designers and these other workers. And all of a sudden, their primary business application wasn't working well. It was, you know, the in fact, the joke was the blue spinning donut was on the screen more often than the mouse cursor, which is a bad experience. Uh, and, and one of my best friends in the world is a user experience designer. So that ain't going to fly <laughs> because she will shame me to death. Uh, so anyway, and so we started looking at what is going on. And I had a designer call me and she was in tears. And she's, she's like, I am trying to go to my kid is like, there's a birthday party in my house for my kid and I can't attend it because I can't do a rendering job that is required for me to get this, this set of graphics out for a Monday morning bid proposal that a salesperson's waiting for. And I did everything I could and I couldn't solve the problem. And for me, it was a low moment. I said, as an IT person, this person trusts me. She's come to me with a problem and I don't have a solution. So I'm going to dedicate myself irresponsibly in terms of my own personal and professional finances and time to solving this problem uh, because there isn't a solution anywhere in the industry to help this person. So I set about developing a rendering offload solution using primarily off-the-shelf components, free software tools, whatever else it was. Um, spent a lot more money than I like to admit and a lot more time because I was personally, I was pissed. I was pissed because A, it was something that I couldn't solve. So my ego was bruised and we don't like that. Um, but also because this whole industry that was relying on me, I, I couldn't solve, you know, if I couldn't solve this problem, I had no business considering myself an expert in this field. So I went ahead and solved the problem and I developed a, a rendering offload solution and technology, started selling it and had a meeting with this uh, this crazy CEO who, you know, I, I was trying to refer some business. So I want to just to step back one more second before I tell this part of the story, which is the reveal into why I'm, you know, why am I talking to you guys <laughs> who are now my coworkers, which is great. Um, I lost my, you know, tangentially, I just lost my train of thought here. Um, I was developing this solution to solve this workspace problem for these interior designers. And I've again, I've lost my train of thought. Darn it. I had a great gonna narrative ask. going. Yeah, I, you know, you started moving into my question, which was like, yeah. where did Kyle come from? He just came out yes. of the woodwork and said, <laughs> hello, of. like, he did. how he did that out. happen? It was like this head came like, hey, 
What you doing? <laughs> no, so sorry. Thank you for bringing me back on track. Yeah. Um, and so I, one of the philosophies that I had as a as a consultant was, I cannot take any sort of income, any kind of money, any quarters, any sort of consideration from anybody if I'm going to refer them as a solution. So that is a difficult thing to do when you're a consultant because, you know, for me, part of what I developed was a way to develop, um, we'll say, passive revenue, meaning I would have to go out, find a customer, write up a, a scope of work, do that work, and then find another customer, right? Or find another or find an engagement retainer, whatever else it was, right? So because I couldn't rely on this concept of referrals. I, I This is when I went to Mexico for the first time, I noticed that every time I took a taxi ride, there were like 47 slips of paper that got handed out. So whatever I was paying the cabbie was getting divvied up a bunch of much people who were like, oh, I referred that business to you and you get a taste, you get a taste, you get a taste. So I'm guessing that my $7 cab ride or you know whatever the, the pesos translation was became a $47 because all these people had their hands out getting involved. I said, that is you know naughty word. That's bullshit. Sorry. Uh, I don't want to do business like that as a consultant. You are paying me for, for untainted advice and what I think is the best path forward for you. And so I can't take that. So anyway, I was trying to refer a client who I'm actually going to see here for a uh, chiropractic adjustment uh, to somebody and was told that the partner I'd been working with really wasn't well suited for that. They didn't really scale to, to solve that client's need. And so CIT was mentioned because I had a working relationship with somebody else who works at CIT, Mr. Scott Patsy, uh, who had been a VCAO for me when I was working at the dealership and had to go out on medical for a back injury. So anyway, set up this lunch. I was going to meet with Ann Maurer and, and talk about this opportunity. And there's Kyle. And so I started talking to Kyle about this <laughs> crazy thing I was doing with rendering servers and how I was going to market as a consultant. And he had some great feedback. He's like, dude, you are not designed to scale at all. You're getting tripped up and you're, you know, you're trying to do all the things and either a through, maybe it's not something that you're well suited to do. You've got this passion, you've got these ideas, you've got the solution, but you don't really have the framework to support what you're doing. And I think this is an opportunity for CIT uh, to, to sort of occur. We have a very similar philosophy on customer service. Um, I, I actually have, I do work with a nonprofit. I was on the board of directors for a, a nonprofit here in Minneapolis called Free Geek Twin Cities, who helps serve an underserved population with access to technology for people who just can't afford it, right? So it's, it's computers, it's laptops, it's tablets. Uh, in some cases, I believe there's even some broadband grants, but ultimately um, I actually came across and they do a retro computer refurbishment, which was my personal passion, as you can see from the random old computer game sitting behind me. Uh, anyway, I found a computer from a little company called, I think it was PC Express. Right on. Yeah. yeah. And there was a weird, you know, my wife told me as I'm leaving, she's like, a lot of things happen in our life around the Ides of March. And here I am running into this computer that Kyle and a bunch of folks at CIT had previously in their career worked on. And said, you know, I don't know, what are the chances? The universe just said, it's time for a pivot. Here we go. Kyle and I, I think, had a lot of very common beliefs and values. And I loved hearing about what CIT was doing. I love the fact that it's been around for 30 years, um, that our office is this wonderful, terrible, like early 2000s. Like, it's it's wonderful. It's this great culture. It's focused on people and providing great solutions. And I said, this is perfect. You know, it, it, it's a group of people who want to do the same kinds of things that I've been trying to do for my clients and in some cases succeeding and in some cases failing because I don't have the right infrastructure. So Kyle and I went from talking about maybe working together on a referral basis to what if I just came to work for you? And he made the investment in buying my technology, buying this this rendering solution that I had developed to help solve designers' problems. And to get back to did this thing actually work? The, the very first client, I actually sold it to them without permission. Um, because I had a really good relationship with 
uh, someone who actually is is also a mentor of mine and was a customer of mine, which is was Jim out in California. I won't use his last name to protect the innocent. Um, but Jim was was a client who I had had a very long standing engagement with as a VCIO slash technology advisor. And I decided, look, I need to put this in front of a client. And so I'm going to ship this out to Jim and send him an invoice and say, we're going to drop this off. And if it doesn't pay for itself, I'm buying it back. But I need this to be something that you've actually invested in and put it in front of a designer. And I'm sweating bullets because this doesn't work. I've wasted a lot of time and energy. And she went into her application and, and had a group of like 12 images she was going to render. And she clicked the button. And like minutes later, first of all, her laptop became available to her to keep working. So she's like, wow, that's not normal. This I can keep working while my renderings happen. That's great. So yes. And then all of a sudden she's like, it's done. That's no, 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 no. She went back and did it again. And she turned on and said, this changes the game. I have to rethink how I'm doing my job because this is so impactful. So, you know, I'm internally doing a woohoo and jumping around saying, you know, my wife's not going to divorce me now. This whole thing was actually a worthwhile pursuit. Thank God. And so anyway, I'm all over the place as far as this narrative flow now. But the end game is I have the privilege of working for CIT and being able to bring all the great things that CIT is doing in terms of offering the ability to to solve my clients problems with their basic technology infrastructure you know how do i how do i get great support how do i get a great laptop that's patched that's running technology security is a huge focus i mean understand that the industry that i'm supporting was actively targeted by some of these hacking groups during covid you know one of my biggest projects was to go out to california and help a client who was fully ransomware while steelcase was simultaneously fully locked down because of ransomware. So, you know, dealing with vertical supply chain attacks and all this stuff, you know, CIT has all these services. And so I can go out now and offer all this great stuff to my clients. I can still advise them, but I can bring them into our customer success team um, and say, hey, you, they, we can help you understand where to focus your initiatives, where to focus your energies and your investments in technology and actually do the thing. So instead of having to, and it's not a bad thing to rely on referrals and partnerships, but I think for the, ensuring the level of quality that I am personally committed to, this is such a great fit because I believe in what CIT is doing. I wouldn't have, have decided to become an employee again if I didn't. Um, and, and this is great. So this is where we are today is that I'm able to, to take the solution that I developed. We're currently in the process of refining it into a hosted solution. So I don't have to actually ship stuff to clients and have them install it. Uh, we are, are in the process right now today even of getting that up and running so we can start piloting that to some of our clients and then also help them understand and assess their technology readiness to either adopt these design tools to understand where their risks lie as a dealership or as a commercial workspace services provider. Um, whether it's a manufacturer that wants to help understand how are their dealerships uh, in terms of technology readiness, are they doing the right things? Because, you know, they're maybe Steelcase or maybe Herman Miller, maybe, you know, they have their logo on the same door. Are the dealerships and these service providers, do they have the right tools and technology? And maybe how do we help support them get there? So I am tremendously excited about what this this means for the industry that I've been supporting and, and very passionately involved in. Um, and I'm going to shut up because I'm, I'm going to run out of words here in a minute, which you know might be a miracle for those of you who may <laughs> have heard me speak before. No, you're so, good. This huh? was, yeah, I was going to say, that was an amazing narrative overall of where you started, how you got there, where Kyle randomly popped up. And I wanted to, <laughs> while we had Kyle on the podcast, to go, hey, is oh, there God. any kind of like wrap up your view, anything that you're looking forward to? And then, of course, for anybody listening, we're going to have Jason on more podcasts with more specific things. So get ready, because that was amazing. We'll we'll have you on again, but just to kind wow, of wrap Larry, up this that, I, I was just so. shooting for at least barely adequate, but that works. No, thank you. I, I do appreciate that. No, yeah, I think obviously, obviously I I was attracted to I love Jason's energy. I think I think we're we're blessed to have him. Um, 
you know, Jason's story with the designer side of it, again, he, he, he referenced the synergy and in, in the in the core value sides. And we talked a lot when we first met about values and where we sit side with it. And and I, I'm very much in alignment in the same thought of, you know, the people connection to the technology is important. And the the the, the value of making sure that that technology works for them is, you know, was um provide a lot of synergy together when we were talking through that side of it and really just saw the vision side of it saying, you know, here we got a tremendous asset. He's got tremendous insight and knowledge of the workings of this industry and how it can go. And when you couple that with the resources that allows us to extend that to more and more um, organizations to get Jason in there to help and then have a team behind him that can help deliver those services and effectively get them out kind of became our, our our mission saying you know this makes a lot of sense we can really leverage and and allow and give Jason those extra resources and a team behind him to really I think take this vision to its fullest extent of, of where it can go because you can obviously pick up from Jason's passion. He wants to see it working. He has a lot of insight of how to make it a lot better. And I I think that the hosting of those things is just kind of the tip of the iceberg side of it. But surprisingly, we already have a hosting center. We have a lot of those resources. So it didn't take long for us to, again, get this already kind of moving in the, into another level for him and allow him to get out there and, you know, are um, super excited to see where we can take this side but it's uh i think a fantastic solution i think we got a lot that we can help um in this vertical side of that because again we want technology to be an asset we don't want it to be a, a a cost center and we want to you know head off these risk sides of it these ransomware attacks that uh, are, are just terrible terrible things for organization sides of that um, but fortunately in many cases are fully avoidable but we have to have an opportunity to assess and educate and, and and plan, and that just you know just takes time to get in front of people. So, so I think you I think you personally that's Kyle. I think that's something that was really important about when we first started talking was I think you really personalized what technology is for people, and that gets to one of the core philosophies that is so important to me, which is. You know, we we speak almost Greek to people. I think we we both grew up <laughs> in a time period when it, we were almost, and I hate to say, it, it, I'm gendering this because this is the way the industry ran. We were the guys behind the curtain that were doing all this stuff that nobody understood, and it was like owning a boat, right? People, business leaders were just pouring money into this hole in the water and not having any accountability for where it was going. And yep. we had to mature. We had to become more diverse in terms of both the people and the concepts we were we were working with in this industry. And I think we've had to get past this idea that we are we are special and we deserve not to be held accountable because we're technologists and nobody understands it. No, no, no. We need to work within the context of business like all the other mature business practices, marketing, finance, accounting, sales. We're, and, and I think it's an exciting time for us because it then allows us to be objectively better at our jobs. We can explain what we're doing. And in it just lets those bad ideas kind of go away. It's not worth the investment. It's not, you know, let's focus on things that really impact people's business um, and, and and really help them understand, look, technology does not have to be unapproachable. It's a tool set that will will become a force multiplier. It'll help people do that, that great work. So, and I just love the fact that your basic, the tagline on the website was just basically get technology out of your way. Let's focus yeah. on people 
and and what we do is the technology behind the scenes like great design this is where the synergy between interior designers and what i like to do really comes together which is we just have different tool sets to do the same thing which we're solving business problems with the tools the understandings that we have and at the end of the day that's what i think the synergy that that cit and what was plat anvil consulting when we came together and said look we're going to do this um really means we're for the dealer communities for the com the commercial workspace services whether you're a manufacturer whether you're a dealership slash consultant slash whether you're an independent rep or an independent designer who's out there trying to to get their their shingle out there and try and do your own thing you know we're there to support you uh you know and i, I would love to work with you so uh you know, I guess it looks like we're about to wrap up this concept, this episode. I so um, I will job. try and, and read off it. my email address, <laughs> but I believe somewhere in the notes, you'll be able to find it. But please feel free to reach out. Uh, my signature even has a, a calendar invitation or a calendar link that you can use to schedule time with me, which is one of the great features of the technology that we offer to you. Um, and something that we can help you embrace, even even small changes like that in your business that will just make those technology expenses every month um, really perform for you. So thanks for uh, letting well, me uh, go on and on and on, Kyle, yeah. and, and you know, this marketing <laughs> team that has done such a great job supporting me. You know, being a lone wolf for so long, I occasionally have, have still had to adjust to working and playing well with others. So it's it, it, it's been a wonderful, and uh, I just, again, I'm, I'm thankful for you for taking the time to, to let me talk a lot um, in this first podcast episode, so. I love it. It's been so good. I mean, we I love having you on. I feel like I have a million more questions. So we are definitely going to have a part two. Um, thank you, Kyle and Jason just for joining us today. If you have a question, like I said, like Jason said, we're going to have information in the description. Um, you can always reach out to us at info at CIT-net.com or you can head out to our website at CIT-net.com slash podcast. And we'll be back next week with an all new episode. Thanks, everyone. Ooh. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.